Paul Sweetenham and I first met in 2022 in New York City at Windup. We were introduced by former podcast guest Carter McLean, who told me how much of a car guy Paul was, so I was excited to chat. This conversation certainly ping-pongs back and forth between automotive talk and, of course, his watch brand, Fairer. I was excited to also get Paul's take on some Formula One news, only confirming Carter was right. Paul was an ideal candidate for this show, so I hope you enjoy it. I'm your host, Wesley Smith, and you're listening to the Standard Age Podcast. Hello. Paul. Sorry, I didn't, I, I got confused in there. Was it four or five? Oh. oh, all good. All good. I'm just sitting here sipping coffee anyway, waking up. <laughs> Where are you? San Diego, my house. So that's? It's eight. Yeah. Because you're five ahead of New York, right? That's correct, yeah. Yeah, so uh, it's too bad we don't have something to measure this for us, you know. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I don't even have a watch on. <laughs> I, I don't either. I Well, I just woke up. I don't sleep in a watch. Do you sleep in a watch? No, 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 yeah. never. Well, you, I guess you shouldn't really. Why? Is there like a... Because, because you can have quite violent sort of... Um, movements when you're asleep, you know, yeah. Oh, you might hit the, the like nightstand or bedside table or something. Or your partner. Or your partner. That's true. You could cut their forehead or something with the Knock crown. her out. Right. Or, him, or, or them. Yeah. Yes. Whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Where, so where are you? This looks beautiful. So we are in, um, that, that out there is, um, this, this, I have, I have the offices. Yeah. I have quite a big office to the left of me. Mm -hmm. Then we use this for a sort of showroom. Wow. Sort of, you know. Well, that's well, that's one hell of a showroom. Um, it looks like I can't tell if it's wood or gravel behind you. It looks like uh, it's gravel because oh, it is. Okay. you have to have gravel for the insurance. Is that like for flame retardancy or something? No, 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 no. noise. Oh, so, so anyone coming across the gravel that is not meant to be there, you can hear them easily. Oh, that kind of insurance. I see. Okay. I was, I was thinking the insurance is cheaper if it's, if it's flame retardant. Like I was thinking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so, um, so this is a farm about about fifteen acres and. Um, we have this, and then we have a, a workshop facility in Wokingham, full, fully fledged, three bench. And then guys, some guys work for me dotted all over the country because we're sort of modern. So we don't need all to be in the, you know, in the same place. Okay. So Wokingham, I've heard of Woking because of Formula One. What no, is Woking? not the same place. Okay. I didn't think so because there's Oxford and Oxfordshire, which they're not terribly far. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, Wokingham, I would say has the legs on Woking. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. Well, listen, I, um, thanks. Thanks for being on the, the program. I, um, I want to get into it because there's so much about your company that I, I don't know. Um, and I can't wait to share it. I understand that you're one of four founders. Is that right? Yeah, but really, they're um, they're not gone, but they're they're not involved in any way. So we own two businesses together. Okay. 
one which they do, which is the big marketing and branding agency. And then the watch company I do on my own. Um, so no one else is involved. Really. Okay. So that kills about 20% of my questions today. <laughs> well, cause I was just going to say, um, I, I feel like I heard you on a previous interview say that there was like four of you, but I, so I was like, I always know you as to be the face of the brand. So that, that makes a lot of sense given what you just said. Okay, cool, cool. Nice. Well, okay. So then why watch us? What'd you do before? Um, well, I did watch this back in the beginning. Mm. So I did watch this, um, in, uh, God, let's get the year right. 86, 87, 85, 86, 87, when it was swatch and, the Tag Heuer um, F1 watch. Mm -hmm. I was kind of like the baby in the watch department and I was given Swatch, Tag Heuer F1, Citizen and Seiko. And that was it. Maybe a little bit of Raymond Vale. And then and then the, the, the big dog did all the Rolex, Patek, blah, 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 blah. But it was a great way to learn the business. And um, we did all the watches for Carnival Cruises, um, Kiwi 2, camera, so luxury stuff. Okay, so this was a sales capacity? No, 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 buying. I was buying for them to... Oh, I see. Uh, to, to, to sell. And um, uh, because I bought perfume and cosmetics, which is kind of unusual, right? All my mates are like plumbers or electricians, and I'm, I'm down the pub and I, what do you do for? I buy perfume and cosmetics. <laughs> um, so it's kind of different. Um, and then I moved on to the watches and jewellery. And I thought, of, to be honest, I thought I'd step, taken a step back. You know, I was doing Chanel and Lancome and going to Paris all the time. And now I'm now I'm in this dusty watch world because it's not the world it is today. Yeah. Okay. Uh, even branding wasn't really um, massively sophisticated then. Anyway, I, I did that for a few years and then realised that I wanted to do retail. So I left... Um, I left uh, watches and went into the fashion world and, and did, oh my God, um, quite a long time in corporate culture. For an American company, TJX, uh, TJ Maxx and Marshalls, yeah, you, you, I mean, everyone's familiar with them. And, uh, and I started Europe and grew it to, to a big business. And then uh, uh, I had to move to America to carry on. And I sort of, um, I wasn't uh, as in love with retail, so I left and uh, did move to Italy, did, did hired gun stuff, then met this guy called John O'Hill. We started uh, um, Other Way Marketing and Branding Agency. I said, you know, it's okay, but not, not really my gig. So I started the watch company uh, and essentially, um, you know, we've grown pretty rapidly from 2016 to to now, um, uh, and and uh, you know, a business that ships all over the world. But of course, your back door, America, is cool. Fifty five percent of our business. Sure. So, what do you what do you attribute your growth to? Because I would agree. I mean, it does seem like it's going quite well, considering it's only seven eight years old. You know. Um, so I would say, you know, like everyone wants to say, Wesley, that, they, that, you know, they've got something different for sure. <laughs> yeah, right. And I think about, you know, let's, let, you know, about half of the, the folks that say that have got something different and sort of the other half, God bless them, don't have something so different. 
Sure. Um, and I think that, look, we, um, we attacked uh, color quite vigorously in 2016. Uh, today, of course, we see color everywhere, but it was relatively, um, relatively sparsely used in 2016 or not at all. And, uh, and then we did an, you know, we, we attacked uh, interesting complications, you know, so if it was uh, a compression technology and we ended up developing our own because the super compressor has limitations on depth, um, world timers, moon phases, chronographs, GMTs, um, you know, uh, Faraday cage pilot watches, just, just, just a whole remit of watches. But right. always uh, uh, kind of individually um, appraised and delivered lots of extreme amount of detail and colors in there. Then pitched, um, you know, the Lander GMT with the Fjord Green um, dial, which which originated from a Porsche color chart. We added to Sunray Bot, and that's become a sort of, you know, we've sold two and a half thousand of those guys on strictly on its own on that dial alone wow so really um i guess we we built a you know pretty loyal fan base um, many many of uh, our customers are multiple fairer owners not single and that's the re real reason for the broad you know broad cathedral look so you could buy five fairer watches and not cross over you know in 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 the appearance and function of your pieces so uh and then and then you know we've been successful in shipping 50 plus countries so you know we're, we're good in the middle east good in the far east good in the us you know ironically sort of europe not england europe is probably our least developed market let's say huh is that because of switzerland being sort of central in that i think, area? I think the europeans are a tad more conservative Mm -hmm. Whenever we do a black dial watch, essentially a you know like like the Endeavor or something like that, we do we trade well with that in Europe, specifically Germany. <laughs> sure. But I think the color and the details are more appreciated in America and the Middle East and the Far East. Not, not you know you can never say anything exclusively, but in right. general, there's so many directions I want to go with this. What um... With regards to shipping all over the world, though, you started pre-Brexit and obviously we're post. Yeah. Has it been a struggle? I don't want to get too political, obviously. But no, it no, just no. It doesn't about, make any difference. More about the, the, the shipping. Has it not? No, I, I you know, I'm, I can't say that Brexit isn't material for anything. But but for the watch industry, when particularly if you stick to origin of Switzerland, you know, they got fairly safe and um, well-established trade agreements right away through the world. So because your origin product is Switzerland, you may be shipping to the UK, but because your origin product is Switzerland, you're in a, you're in a good place to ship internationally. Okay. Yeah. It, you know, Europe is just, okay, so you trade where the EU VAT is in the price, but, you know, that's that's uh, always how we did it. So we we really didn't feel much so are you set up as a third party logistic then? Are you shipping drop shipping from Switzerland to the customer as well? No, no, no. We, we ship everything from here. To, for QC reasons? Yeah, but it also it comes in a um 
we have here what is what is regarded as a secure um, tax-free um, logistics holding that 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 it's if it like it's still in Switzerland whilst it's in this and as soon as it leaves that and goes to England or goes to a VAT, then then the tax is applicable. But um, yeah, interesting. Is that something that most people are A, aware of, or B, take part in? Is that just the way you do business in the UK? Pretty much. Christopher Ward does exactly the same. Okay. You know, being the, being really the, the, big, the bigger guys than us and, and, and has exactly the same approach. It's funny you mentioned Christopher Ward. Uh, when you were talking about cruise ships, I thought of Mike Pearson because he used to work on them. And then... Uh... Yeah, and then that's how he honestly, got that red glow. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, he's just stuck in the Caribbean, I guess. Um, that's really funny. Um, so, how did you like? How have you gone about sourcing and/or like choosing the movements in your watch? Is it sort of price contingent? Is it ability, meaning the complication, or we use Dupois de Pra, um, Le Jupere, Salita. The three, but we don't we don't use entry level Salita. We use mm. SW three hundred. We use their chronograph movements. We lose. We use the Le Jupre G one hundred one, which is fantastic. Sixty eight hours reserve. Cool. We use specialized uh, modular makers to part of prior, um, but pretty much we tend to use we tend to use top grade. Occasionally we use Elabore, but even then that's adjusted. Um, and screws added, decoration added, um, bridge changed, whatever. So, but we tend to, um, there's all, there's no stock movements in our watches. Everything is modified to some extent. And because we work with Raventa Henix, who make a lot of very famous people's watches. Um, so you've got, uh, a level of negotiation and access to movements that most people would not have, even if they were five times our size. Interesting. So, I mean, I think it goes without saying that you could consider fair somewhat of a value proposition watch as a result of what you just said, you know, like you guys are, are using tip top stuff, but your prices are not astronomical, right? So was that a goal when you set out to start fair? very much you know if we're going to do i mean look let's just let's just focus on something that's coming back after after a long absence and we've got a huge great demand for it, a world timer you you get any um of the uh platforms you know fratello hadinki or whatever they are and they run an article saying 10 world timers you should buy inevitably they have to immediately put into that title whatever the budget, because most world timers are like 80 grand, 50 right. grand. Right. And then the cheapest real world timer is the Amiga for 8,000 to 9,000 pounds. Not a world timer that happens to add a bezel with the world net. That's not a world timer. A centrally rotating world disc that we have in our watch. So we want how, you know, we're going to do a world timer. We're going to make it accessible. So uh, $1,600, $1,700 is not nothing, but it's extremely good value for the piece. 
A hundred percent. And you know, it's, it's hilarious that you bring this watch up because I have two monitors in front of me and the watch literally to my right is the world timer. And it's for sure one of my favorites in the lineup for you guys. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. the, the colors are right. The, the size is right. I know, you know, you, I love the sizes of most of your watches, you know, mostly sub 41 millimeter. Yeah. And it's, um, that's it's it's right up my street you know like those are the those are the sizes for me personally um the world timer is like 10.8 mil as well so super exactly it's you know super thin it the dial's great i mean having the globe in the middle right like it, it's sort of a nod to patek potentially i don't know yeah, but yeah is that Nothing sort of the mode right well no not at all and and I also like the font of the Arabic numerals you guys use. They're you know sans serif, but it's clean. But it's kind of interesting. It's sort of a modern font within a historical watch, which I think is like really beautifully done. That's nail on the head. You know, our, we're not we're not to, no, certainly not to knock any of these things, right? But we're not interested in in any way homage or similar. Mm. You know, we think that you should endeavor where you can to do something original, you know? Yeah. And there are, and, and of course, the limits of originality are based on you're dealing with a circle, a tonneau, or a square, or whatever the shape is. And that's hardly the most original thought in the world because <laughs> there's, you know, a few years of watches. But I think you're a sort of incumbent to try and put your own, you know, your own label on things. So mm-hmm. it's like, we'd like to think that our watches, with the fairer covered up are still identifiable to us. Yeah. Yeah. It's the removal of the Nike swoosh and you know, it's a Nike, that kind of thing. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a marketer's uh, dream really. It, it works. And, and, you know, we get fed that line a lot, you know, from, mm. from our customers. What are sort of your points of distribution? Is it all direct? Yeah, we, I mean, we did have that distribution in the early days and it frankly was more of a pain in the ass than it was worth. Right. Plus, plus at the time, I guess we hadn't realized we would sell out of things so quickly. So it would have started to become a logistical nightmare, you know, particularly as we, we tend to run small batches, lots of limited drops, um, you know, we've just done this thing with the Eastern Arabic numbers to replace the Arabic numbers. Uh, and they've immensely popular. What a surprise in the Middle East. Right. But it just goes to show there's no sort of hurdle there. You know, they're coming from here. They're going directly there. Um, so so in reality, uh, those distribution points and uh, and they were they were mostly web-based but in London, they were Selfridges, et cetera, et cetera. They just became the amount of effort you had to put in for the reward, not worth it. You know, it's funny. I've um, mentioned on the show before and through Instagram and, and my email list that I've sort of been trying to expand my network through wholesale. And a lot of that is mainly due to the fact that my marketing budget is nil. So it's a way to reach customers without necessarily, you know what I mean? Like it's almost like a built-in marketing channel for reach purposes. Um, It is interesting you should say that because it can be a pain in the ass to deal with because of either the hoops that you have to jump through. Like for example, with one, 
you know, my stuff comes from my factory packaged a certain way. Yeah. A lot of these people want them packaged their way, right? So now you have to repack everything, re-sticker everything, use their skew, not my skew. And it just becomes what you say, you know, like just more more trouble than it's worth potentially because your time is is worth something, you know. It's really interesting, the connectability of folks. We had a couple of people in from Colorado on Saturday here in Ascot. They had okay. bought two or three times before, but they wanted to come physically here. Yeah. We got the fair, we got the fair, a mini Cooper van out, sit in the car, take the pictures. Amazing. Which is, which is, which is fantastic. But, but you know what? It's good to have uh, the connectability. And then we do, we do all the Warner Wound shows and they're brilliant. Right. Yeah, sure. So how early did you start going to those? Because I only started going, I guess, what was it? 2022 in Chicago was my first one. We were we were a very early adapter. 2016 was the first one we went to. And there was no one there. You know, that was, although that was Chelsea Market, there was a lot of tumbleweeds in that show. You know, there was, you right. know, not the biggest headcount. And then when the headcount came, it was tourists, really. Yeah, it, it, yeah, Chelsea Market. Yeah, sure. But it was good enough to come back. And those guys have done a great job. And, you know, when you look at that New York location they have coming up this year, whoa, you know, very good job. Yeah. Okay. So those those shows are quite successful for you then, I take it. Uh, Megally successful. And and then we there's some appearing in Europe here, not as many as we would like. Uh, I really think Worn and Wound, um, the wind-up show, I really think they probably were the trendsetter there. But it's, it's a good business model, you know, to sell direct to the consumer, but then have the, because we don't physically sell at the shows. So it's, good, you know, you get, I don't know, uh, Peter comes on behalf of his 12 mates out the West and picks up the watches and says, they pass for me. And, you know, my standard is the same for my group. And and you really build up that, 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 that way. With the last show we did in New York, I want to say 80% of the people came to the stand deliberately to say, give me the moon face. I need to try this on. I need to be ready when it's back in stock. So it's good for me or give me the, you know, so it really works that circle. That's great. We enjoy it. We enjoy meeting folks, but you know, you don't have to have lunch with these people. This is a, you know, it's an enthusiastic exchange. You see literally thousands of people. Yeah. Um, and we always see a big bounce after the show in orders. So, okay, so you're not selling direct uh, at the show, meaning you're not bringing inventory with you. Now, are you ringing people up, however, and then shipping later? Yeah. Okay, I thought so. Okay. You're not just relying on people ordering after the show, in other words. Oh, no, no, sure. Right. Yeah, right. No, yeah, yeah, we yeah, are. Yeah, yeah. yeah okay. sorry, we are. We're totally... I'm too busy manning my own booth to know. That's why I asked. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, no, no. Folks just come, We, you know, folks say, can I buy this here? No, no, you go home in the comfort of your own home right. and uh, place it there. Because we ship, I mean, if you buy in New York, in let's say you place an order at 11 o'clock UK night time, the watch will go the next morning and you'll have it that day because of the time difference. That's amazing. One day. Wow. So what do you use to ship, not to get in the weeds on shipping? FedEx for America. 
Okay. Uh, my experience has told me that you should not use a non-American company for shipping to America. Okay. Got it. And then DHL for the rest of the world because they're bigger than the rest of the world. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, I get DHL kind of no problem here at my house when I order from Europe. But um... we have we have found that the speed of a U.S. carrier is quick. Right. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Well, I want to talk about the Aquamatic for a quick second. Yeah. Now, take us through kind of the nomenclature, and I'm just using this model as an example of how you name your watches and and so, kind of so, colors and such. So uh, the Aquamatic was um, uh, was going to be called, I forget what it was going to be called, something different to the Aquamatic, something Matic. And then Chanel threatened me legally and said, you can't, you can't. They found that we were trying to register this name and I was walking down to Europe and I had a phone call from a lawyer, very uh, well-spoken lady with a bit of a French twang. And she, I am from Chanel, and we are um, stopping your registration of a, a particular name, or we'd like you not to. I thought, oh shit, I can't use that. So, so I, you know, I really can't even remember what it was going to be called. But anyway, we moved it to Aquamatic. Basically, it's a water activity watch. Right. And we got some guys down in Australia that using these things for serious diving. Um, they sort of sort of had a, a very gentle nudge at me to say, you know, are they really proper serious stuff? And I said, well, you know, unless you buy them and drive them, you're not going to know, are you? So right. that's what they did, and they now send me regularly regular shots of using it in 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 proper diving scenarios. But then we wanted to keep some meaning um, meaningfulness for the watches, so they're named after. Um, locations of surfing beaches or famous waves well i wanted to ask you about that because what is your history with surfing do, is there any do you surf? Uh, for me personally none okay <laughs> no, for me personally none um but um every one of our specific watches either is named after a person of an explorer a vessel or, or when we um, used the GMT bezels, they were named after the four streets that were the circumference of uh, where GMT time is registered in London. Oh, wow. Okay, cool. So there's always a good naming thing. And you know what? People say to me, why do you make the effort? Because you can have a dialogue with someone who goes, Hey, I've, I've got the Stanhope. I'm interested in the uh, Lander, but I really want to just feel about, um, you know, the Erebus first. And it's just an easier way to dialogue through the, through the range. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I'm kind of the same with my T-shirts, like naming them sort of after cars and such, because it's... Cars. Oh, we love yeah. cars. Yeah. Yeah. No, we'll get to that for sure. For sure. But I want to talk about color because you mentioned it earlier. Um and speaking of cars and color, you mentioned Porsche earlier and having used that color. But my understanding is the manufacturers that's helped you achieve these colors was kind of hard to find in Switzerland. Um, yeah, yeah. Do you know what? Um, what I mean, when you start, when you start and you show them colors, yeah, started and we showed them specific Pantone adjusted colors because we always adjust the Pantone so they can't be exactly copied. Um, we would get back 
something in the ballpark. Not perfect. Oh, that's lovely. The only problem is it's not the color we sent you. Yeah. And so it took a, a long time to find the right suppliers for hands and dials so that the color, the finishes, uh, you know, we use Lumi, everyone talks about Lumicast now, but we, we first used it in 2019. It was difficult to do back then, you know, and then when you were, and then when you were using a PK finish, like a PK polo shirt um, with varnish on top, that, you know, there was four, there is 42 steps to the world time of dial. Wow. You know, when we put that out to three suppliers, the first two came back like they'd been made by Edward Scissorhands, right? So, um, the, so it, it was hard. And actually, um, dial manufacturing is easily the, the thing that causes us the most length mm. in our supply chain. So when you adjust Pantones, as you say, like, is it a common adjustment you're doing for each color or does it depend on the color? Like, are you making Well, when it you adjust Pantones, you either put in black or white. You know, you put in those one of those two to go either way. Right. Um, or we invent a color completely that we find, like the Milan Tonu was, I jumped over someone's fence in Milan, run up to their door and took a photograph of a, you know, of a ceramic pot and we copied that. I would not recommend this as a general activity. Right, no, no, no. And they must not have had gravel roads either. Uh <laughs> they did not have a gravel road, no. Um, and they were rather shocked when I wanted to take a picture of their pot, but there you go. But it, it was useful. Or, or, or for the moon phases, we used uh, 17th century Japanese watercolor prints. We took the colors off them. Um, so there's, there's, there's a lot of different originations for the colors. Okay, so it's not always adding white or not always adding black. Got it. Okay, so there's no real, cons it is case by case. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, how do you nail down the color choices unless, you know, there's an Italian pot to choose from or, or uh, these watercolors? Well, you, like you, you kind of have a, a sort of an, you know, an image of where you want to be. Uh, I guess a better question is, is, is it you or do you, is there any sort of design by committee? And there's two there? people, there's okay. two people involved in the process, Mike Heath and me, um, and if I could allow myself the license of using Lennon and McCartney, clearly we're not as talented as that. <laughs> These guys did much better in their own space and then came together. And, and that's the same for me and Mike. We, we work apart, come together, work apart, come together. Mm. Um, uh, but Mike is an outstanding uh, renderer as well um, and as originally a product designer. I'm a conceptual product person with, without his technical competence, and we blend those things. Um, and uh, me and Mike can um, once, so we can have a long runway, but a really short takeoff. Okay. Yeah, so, so seemingly is going nowhere, and then bang, we're off in the air. Right. And you have to work, you have to work, I mean, what we're doing at the moment, summer 2025. Well, you know, that is quite like jamming then. You know, you're just sitting in a room playing and then all of a sudden it clicks. You're like, oh, that's, that's, yeah, yeah, that's the note or that's, you know, the hook. And it, and, and it very consciously doesn't click, you know. Right. Something appears on, 
I'm sending it to him or the other way around. And, Ugh. You can you can you can tell the non-work with the delay in the response. Right, right. Oh, that's funny. Wow. Yeah. What what part do the complications in your watches play with regards to color? Like, do you guys do you, do you look at complications as a way to feature more colors because there's quite literally more on the dial? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, certainly in the case of World Time GMT, even by just by the hand, right? Right. Or in the Meredith GMT that we just did, where we've got uh, effectively sector dial with sunray and gravel finish, raised LumiCast, overpainted on the LumiCast, different color hand. There's a lot of components in, you know, in what is a 38 mil dial. There's a lot of components. So we would definitely use the complications. Then when you get to three hand, you know, you're not, you've, you've not got so many elements because obviously you've got three hands. So you really have to, uh, we think, um, achieve a lot, but minimally, right? Minimally. So you can't you make, make it look like a museum exhibit. It really has to be striking. And the Resolute is a great example. It, it, it's a white varnished enamelized dial. Um, but it has Lumicast numbers with black, so it so it has Halo Lumi, and then an orange second hand. But we also have a gazillion color leather straps, and a white watch works with all of them. So there's always a way to play to play the color in. Yeah, you know, I've I've I haven't I haven't dived this deep into your website. Can you choose different straps on your site when purchasing just initially? And at the most extreme number of options, 15. Wow, that's great. Yeah. That's amazing. Who makes your straps? Can you share? Yeah, yeah, we have a We have a company called SIS, S-I-S. Okay. In Southern France. I like French because the French have an extraordinary competence with leather. We require quite some different color shadings in our leather, avocado green, aragosta orange, um, argarve green. And we have found that CIS um, are, you know, a perfect partner. They are a huge manufacturer of very famous monogram handbags uh, from France. You can imagine in those. So, yeah. so these guys, competence in leather, suede, and now apple skin that we do with them is off the top of the roof. So when you're ordering an avocado green strap that's made, I'm assuming from calfskin, um, as a tannery, what are your minimums like? Like what, how do, how do you? Well, well, what's really interesting, because these guys are principally women's accessory makers and handbags. Sure. The sheer vast color range of their rolls rolled leather skins in their um their archives or, or yes or their book and sometimes we go and buy the entire roll you know we were gonna we were gonna use this for our hammer it never came off and we go okay we, you can get 193 straps out of it we'll take it yeah wow that's cool well i mean i guess one should ask as well you started a watch brand do you wear other brands at this point or do you only wear Ferris? Do you know what I used to? Yeah. I used to. I used to wear Panerai, um, 
Radima particularly. Um, I, I wore the Hoyer um, German Pilots watch from the 60s. I wore that a lot because I used to wear. I've got uh, Amiga Seamasters from late 60s. Cool. Probably the most frequently worn modern watch I wore was the IWC Portuguese Chronograph. That's classic. Classic. Probably, probably that. And then, of course, I have a collection of um, early Universal Geneve, which, yeah, which, including a rent in a safe. So, um, um, I mean, they were the really interesting to see what Brightling does because, um, you know, they need to treat that brand with respect because that's, I mean, you know, that's like bringing Bugatti back. Right, right. Yeah, no, it's it's crazy. It'll, and, you know, obviously the, the values of UG has, uh, uh, they've changed uh, a little bit probably since you purchased them. <laughs> and, and they don't appear, I mean, someone's going to tell me I'm wrong on this, but they don't appear to have suffered the recent depression that, mm. you know, the bigger guys have just taken a whack on. Do you think Breitling's acquisition has a has kind of a key component in that? No, no I think that, I think that, you know, the Magic 10, the 10 chronographs. I mean, look, you know, all of these guys were sat around in the 70s going, shit, this quartz thing has bust us wide open. And the people who had great balance sheets survived and the people who didn't have great balance sheets but might have had great businesses basically failed. And I think that sort of Lip Montre, Universal Geneve, Galley, you know, those guys who mean as much to me as Amiga, blah, 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 blah. Sure. But they just didn't survive, right? They didn't make it. And um, mm. this great collector thing that we have around the world has really boosted them from anonymity. Right? How do you look at collecting yourself? Like as far as watches go, because, <sighs> you know, you have these older ones, right? Like the, that you mentioned. And now you've got the fairer watches that obviously are... are predominantly getting the wrist time for obvious reasons. Do you, so how do you look at watch collect or did you ever consider yourself a collector or were these just things no, that you no, amassed? No, and I, I, I have accrued a fair amount of um, value in watches. Sure. Sadly, don't even, I, I don't think they've seen the light of day in 10 years. Um, you know, I haven't opened the boxes in 10 years. I mean, I got an IWC big pilot. I, I, I don't, I think it's been worn like three times or something like that. And when I wore it the last time, I needed medical help to get my wrist re-strengthened, you know, so big. Um, but um, look, I think anyone who wants to collect anything, good for them, you know, and uh, what, what, wherever it be, a cigar, a, a Hermes handbag, which are now I understand is £75,000 for a Birkin, you know, go figure. Unreal. Cars, you know, I've made fairly substantially irrational decisions around cars. Uh, not so much in watches. I think I've been more rational and have not caught any colds there. What was the most irrational decision you made in cars? I've got, I've, you know, I'm dying to know. Do you know what? I bought someone's Project 911 which is bespoke for them. And I thought I loved it, but, but you know, I should have stayed as being a uh, curbside admirer. <laughs> what was wrong with the car? Wh what happened? 
Well, I just didn't really love it, you know, at all. I got it, I got it back, and you know, he he done he he done a beautiful job on it, very tasteful. But ultimately, it was his dream, right? And he hit some financial disaster, so he had to sell it. But um, you know, I, I shouldn't have, I shouldn't have bought. I prefer the. Daytona story where I bought for two fifty and sold for six fifty. That, that's a better story. Wow! Yeah, good for you. What color was the nine eleven? Uh, the nine eleven was actually a gold wing Mercedes blue. Oh, interesting. I mean, very tastefully done. That sounds beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so what was your very first car? Uh, Four Cortina thirteen hundred Deluxe two door. How many how many speeds was that transmission? Four. Okay. Number plate RDL eight one four J. I can even remember it. <laughs> um, and you know plumbers mate that they used to to stop a leak. Yeah. I, uh, I had that on the bottom of my sump plug because I cross threaded the sump plug, and uh, I'll never go to heaven. I sold it. I sold it to someone else, and I didn't. <laughs> perhaps I didn't mention that. <laughs> I'll never go to heaven. That's so funny. Oh my God. All right. So have you had a favorite car in your life, even if you don't own it now? Yeah, I, I, I've still got the 993, just a basic Carrera 993, 272 brakes, so pre-Vario. Um, there was a French banker here. He bought a C16 with a left-hand drive, super rare, and uh, Banker National. And then the bank decided to pull out of England, go back to France. And I bought it off him. And of course, it was a left-hand drive, so I was able to chip him. Uh, but I have driven that 90,000 miles, and I've had it for 20, coming up to 26 years. Good for you. What color is that car? That is, um, it's, it's dark ocean blue. Okay, so you seem to like blue then. Yeah, I do have a lot of blue. I, I do have a lot of blue car. I mean, I personally think, you know, everyone goes on about, my my chum runs um make green great again the instagram thing and he's made it super popular oh really oh, that's yeah funny. luke gilbertson who works at dk engineering the ferrari people and um but i'm i'm ultimately a blue you know because my my number one god car is my semi-lightweight e-type which is which is in a curia cost blue Okay, so is your affinity of blue at all Union Jack related, or is there any sort of nah, patriotism? Nah. Okay, okay, okay. Blue is true, right? Yeah, well, blues it's classic. You know, it's absolutely classic. I think, you know, I came out over the fall with Blue Scudo, which was a 50s Ferrari color, and um, I think it went into the 60s as well. Um, unbelievable color on those cars, which it's kind of, I mean... It's the opposite of lipstick on a pig. When the cars were that beautiful, like you could have put anything on it and it would look beautiful. But the the blue specifically, the blue scudo was just, God, it's just the. My date's was celeste blue. Oh, interesting. Which was a great cut with celeste leather. Wow. So it was it was super cool. Those guys, but but actually, my favorite blue Ferrari color is posy. Yeah. But well, that's a deeper one as well, right? Yeah, so, that's super cool though. Yeah, yeah. I struggled with doing that or Blue Scudo. Those yeah, are the two. No, I get that. Blue Scudo is probably more um, stand out more, right? I think. Yeah. In a positive well, the, way. Yeah. Well, you know what I've found that's been really interesting with apparel, and this is this is probably obvious, but you don't really think about it 
necessarily until you're thinking about it. And that is when a car is in a garage with the lights off, right? And it's blue posi, for example, it looks black, but in the broad daylight, you could tell that it's blue and clothes are the same way. Right. And I'm sure watches are the same way. Right. So like, that's what I've really been interested in sort of playing with, with regards to even Pantone choices and things. It's like, what is the color that actually best represents the way that the car appears in dark and or light? So I did, you guys call it crayon, but over here it's called chalk, you know, the, the Porsche color. Yeah. And it took a good number of like tries to get that color right on my t-shirts because it's um because of the way that it looks in the dark versus the way that it looks in the light and you know i find anyway for me and this isn't really a percentage of r&d costs but for you when you're testing out colors to take it back to the color conversation about watches if they don't get it right, is it expensive to fix? Like to do these things as samples, is it pricey? Uh, the sampling process, uh, if you do it properly in watches, mm-hmm. and that means, you know, you can't sample from render, that's mad. Right. So we, we our, our partners have CNC, which is fantastic, which we can make anything, but also they've got 3D printing. Okay. And we use a combination of all three but we always make the dial. Hmm. 100% of the time we make the dial and I must have a functioning watch on my wrist for 28 days. You know, it can be held together um, in, in some artisan way, you know, not production, but I need to be able to visualize and, and wear the product. Uh, and I think you can tell when people don't, right? I think you can... You can tell when they make a leap without doing proper prototype. Making the actual dial, as you said, is that common in the watch industry? Because I've never really asked that question before. More so. I think more so. Okay. More so. It's whether you make them pre-production, make a decision and go. Probably Mm -hmm. most people make them. I'm not sure if everyone does pre-production. Pre-production is expensive uh, in time and now we're doing some, we got this British watch show coming up on the uh, 8th of March or whatever. And we're selling six 36 mil watches of pre-production dials that we never used. So they'll all be one of one of one of one of one of one. Oh, very They're cool. all great, but, but you know, not going to make them. Um, and I think probably I have, something around 50 dials that are pre-production that never made it. I have to know on this world time, cause I'm still looking at it and it's my favorite. The, the arrow, like your logo is the a, right. Or like the, the a, yeah. Yeah. It's at the tip of the hand there in, in what seems to be more of a minty green. Yeah. Why green? Just, just, to match the Lumi when it when when it's in dust. Okay. So if you had gone with say a red or is it yellow that says London there or yellow at the orange end? or it's orange. Okay, on my screen it's it's actually quite small. Um, okay, so it's orange. So orange would have been different, or you wanted that contrast. It didn't work. Okay. 
we have um we have one of the world time so we're not carrying on with the oldridge the blue one you can't see that anywhere now we have a new triple green world timer coming out as well oh my god because then there's the more predominantly white dial with like the yeah that's track. a pk dial though yeah yeah that one's the one you were saying previously it had stainless steel hands it now has navy hands for better clarity okay legibility right right yeah. we've also dropped mexico city and put chicago on we had so many angry chicago writers to us really yeah so that's all it takes is a complaint to change? <laughs> well, uh, when you see how many people from China complained about Hong Kong rather than Beijing. Oh, well, yes, understood. And, and I think it's fair, you know, you yeah. not having a reference to one and a half or 1.3 billion people is kind of silly. Well, yeah, I was going to say, you look at your demographic, which, by the way, I was going to ask this earlier and forgot. Who is your customer? Do you know what? Our customer is so broad, you wouldn't, you, you just wouldn't fathom it. So there were five people in the showroom on Saturday, and there was a, there was about six or seven years between every one of them. Wow. We we have folks who stay here in London from the Middle East that show up in a row of four. Range Rovers and yeah. only the passenger is only in the one in the middle, gets out, buys his watches and goes again. That's and we cool. make watches for his household as well. Um, and then we have people bringing their son. We have, since we started doing the 36 mil GMTs and 36 mil three hands, we have a lot of about to be wet people who come by 36 39 matching watch i mean it's just the broadest cathedral possible does that make it more fun for you i would imagine personally it yes yeah i think it sounds fun to you know see that grow i, that I think diversity is the spice of life right you know sure. and yeah. um wow do we have a broad broad spectrum of folks you know we sell to a lot of arty people in the West. Um, uh, um, we sell to a lot of sort of musical type people on the East Coast, you know, uh, um, Carter. Yeah, of course, yeah. Shout out Carter McLean. And we sell to a huge amount of folks. Our biggest destination in the US is Texas. Oh, interesting. I mean, it's color. Really? Yeah, okay. That, and, and usually size though too. Everything's bigger in Texas. Well, you, I mean, I don't know. I mean, maybe these things are, are perhaps, you know, sort of established views, but um, yeah, we sell pretty much something of everything in our range to Texas. Okay, so with variety being the spice of life, but blue being the through line of color in your car collection, that must mean the silhouettes of your cars must be different then. So what's in the garage? Yeah, so E-Type to... Mark II, Coombs, Jaguar, TVR, Griffith. Okay. Um, to 911s, to a Gordon Keeble. Gordon Keeble's that's actually metallic gray. Gordon, there's only 100 Gordon Keebles in the world. Giorgio Gigetto uh, designed it. Um, first ever complete car he designed when he was a kid. Um, and... Um, 
four uh, uses a Chevy lump, 300 brake horsepower Chevy lump with a UK space frame. They made they made 99. One got made with spare parts after. Of the 99, 88 are on the road. Wow. You'll have to send me a photo of your car. It's an unusual thing. I'll Google it, of course, but I, I'd like to see Gordon yours. Gordon well. Keeble. And its its logo is a tortoise. <laughs> With 300 brake horsepower. So what does the car weigh? I mean, space frames got to be uh, right, Yeah, right? Um, about uh, 1,300. So it's wow. relatively light. I mean, yeah. it was a fast car in 1964, right? You're speaking in kilograms, right? So that's 2,600 pounds-ish. Okay. Okay. So, it, you know, 1964, this was a fast car. Yeah. Miles per hour, six and a half seconds, you know, standing 62. What's the and most what unique? Even if distilled down to the tortoise logo, it's going to be different, you know? And full red leather. Amazing. Well, you got red on the wrist. What's the watch you put on? This is, um, this is the recently released... Uh, aqua compressor, Heckler. Titanium case, it looks Titanium brushed. indeed. Yeah. Um, uh, internal rotating bezel, compressed um, uh, compressed crowns, because uh, it works at 100 meters water resistant with the crowns out, 300 of the in. Oh, wow. We sell a ton of these. Um, we've just done a full Lumi dial one. Uh, and then our traditional black one, which, uh, but, but because it's black, um, the way the color comes out is tricolor Lumi. So, um, these are, these are big demand watches for us. Nice. So the red, red leather was in the car. What was the most recent car you picked up? Do you know, I bought a, a 911 50th anniversary. Sure. It only had 4,000 miles on it and it had the power kit. So it was rare. So if you're going to buy a modern 911, you want it to be reasonably rare. So if you want to flip it, you don't, you know, lose your shirt on it. Right. Uh, I can't say I'm loving it. Mm. Well, let's see. The 50th would have been... 2014. Yeah, 992 or 991 rather. Houndstooth seats, all the green dials. So nice elements. Power pack, naturally aspirated engine wider body so you get more hips so it's yeah. not good but you know what it's just is it too modern i think it's possibly too competent that's what i mean yeah yeah you want i mean the 993 is going to be a completely different driving car i mean 993 for me is king night i mean everyone has a different view about this right uh but i think 993 is king 911 you know, independent rear suspension, still kept um, uh, the obvious 911 traits. Most importantly, it's compact, small, it has everything you need. Uh, the manual six box is good, um, uh, but you can drive it as docile as anything. It's a great car. It, I mean, those are my favorite. They're just sadly not affordable for me anymore. They're just, they're priced out of my wheelhouse. They're mad, aren't they? They've gone mad. I mean, I, yeah. some, someone showed me a Turbo S the other day for 500. I mean, it's bonkers. Yeah. That was the first car, I think, with carbon ceramics, right? The Turbo yeah. S 993? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's a gorgeous car, though. I mean, and then if you throw, if you threw like the roof in there too, you know, the, the roof cars 
from oh uh, yeah i mean it's it's actually oh, they're, they're incredible though but they're yeah. a bit, you know i mean don't we all wish we could get a time machine so we could go back when they were nothing and yeah and buy apple stock and and do it all yeah yeah yeah, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah no exactly i um that's interesting is there another car on the hit list coming up you think you got your well, do you know what the e-type is a william haynes uh and william haynes is the grandson of bill haynes who was in the design team for the original um e-type and it was a semi-lightweight car that win percy who was a le mans driver and a tom norton sort of racing driver he had made and then he had his gardening accident so he couldn't bend down so he had to sell a car blah 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 okay i used it and put thirty-five thousand miles on it and then we decided it needed to be restored for a 25 year life, you know, so it could go for 25 years again. And uh, I put it in July 22 and it's coming out in about two months time. So. Um, uh, you excited? I miss it like a human being, which is very sad. I know. <laughs> no, that's not sad at all. Cause I mean, it's the way, I mean, that's, that's why these things are special because you get to actually experience them then, you know, it's like, going to dinner with, with another human almost, you know, yeah. it's like dinner is better with that kind of company. This weighs a thousand, uh, uh KG has got, um, uh, just a little bit over 300 brake horsepower, magnesium wheels. It's a proper rocket ship, you know, it, it, and, and, and you need to be uh, awake and paying attention. Right. Were you ever an Aston guy? Did you ever, you know, I was, I, I had, uh, the six DBS, so 1970, right? I thought it was hugely pretty, but I thought it was quite sort of tractor-like. Uh, I had um, a manual DB9. Uh, I had a manual Vantage V8S, quite like that. I think that's one of the prettiest things. Oh, gorgeous car. Um, but Aston are not, I mean, we have a terrible habit of not really loving our own brands in England. You know, if you go to... If you go to France and Switzerland, they love Jaguars and Aston. Probably, it feels we we seem to be obsessed with Porsches. Right. Yeah. Well, same here. I mean, I think Porsche is just kind of almost everywhere now. Japan as well. Like it's it's everywhere. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I guess the grass perhaps may be greener. I don't know. Um, well, I mean, look, they're a hugely. Comp they don't make a bad product, do they? You know, it's just yeah. degrees of good. Uh, but you know, I had a Cayman GT4. I just, I just thought it was good. It wasn't great. Yeah, it didn't. And then I had an Alpine at the same time. You know, the, the French Alpine. Yeah. Unbelievably brilliant car. The the modern one, the the real round one that came out a few. My buddy had one of That's those. Right, yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Well, speaking of tractor, like, were you ever a Defender guy? Did you ever get into Defenders? Uh, yeah, I've had a few defenders, and I currently have the new one as well. I love it. Oh, you like it? Okay, yeah, I love it. Which one do you have? Uh, one ten. Okay, and a one ten. Steel wheels, most importantly, steel wheels. All right. We do. We just made a film with it up in Scotland uh, a couple of weeks ago with the with the diving boys for the Aqua Compressor uh, up in uh, in the water near the Isle of Mull. But that that is such a competent car. You know, I love it. I think it's amazing. Is it blue? No, it's green. 
left field, out of left field with the yeah, green. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's cool. That was, I mean, so it's a the... sort of metallic modern green, so it's probably not the green I would have absolutely loved. But it's green, white roof, you know, white steel wheels. Um, it's an amazing product, and I think they've done super well with it. Is it going to make the cut for Instagram, the make green great again? Uh, pro Do you know what? It probably doesn't. Luke okay. has such... <laughs> Luke has such a degree of exotica. He has, he has literally thousands of people sending him pictures every day. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. I, I, I follow the green over tan one as well. That's a good one. Yeah, it's a great one. Yeah. Um, so you said you, you just shot a video with it. What's the video for exactly? I mean, obviously to promote the watch. I mean, assuming, it's, but... so, so really, you know, we, if you're going to do a dive watch, you really have to be comfortable that it's going to work properly. Sure. Yeah. So we had we had the black one down in the Gold Coast, uh, uh, and then we had two of these with professional oil rig divers. So that's okay. The, yep. And it's important for me, even though I know it probably won't get used for that. It's important for me to get the full colors from the divers. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. So where, where do you use that video content? Is it just for your website? That's on, you can see, I mean, we've, we've, we've uh, made a digestible journal clip. Um, and then it's, and then there's also a cut down on our, on our um, Instagram reels. Um, there's a much longer story about it, but cool. Matt Hutt, who is a professional diver, he runs about 25 divers, various things in Scotland. You know, you couldn't get a more enthusiastic person, but but if it was not good, you would have known it in 10 seconds flat with Matt, you know. That's good. Yeah. You know, which is cool. That's great. Now, are you a drummer yourself? Obviously, Carter is. Do, do you know what? I, I, sort of rustily, yes. Okay. <laughs> I mean, God bless Carter. He's a freaking genius, right? Unbelievable. I mean, what a player. Also, amazingly nice chap, you know, super nice guy. And he came to our stand when we had a watch called the Carter, just right. out of curiosity. And I chatted to him. And we were looking for, a, you know, a couple of guys in the US that would wear the watches in the early days. Uh, we never, ever have gone more than three people in the end because we use Amy Shaw, the photographer, Carter and um, and uh, a third person, a helicopter pilot in the UK. And um, Carter is such a good egg, you know. I think he's super talented. 100%. Uh, an exceptional human being and very gregarious, you know. Like, you know, and so I think he's done a great job for drumming, personally. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. And then Amy Shore, for those who don't know, mostly an automotive photographer. Yeah, mostly, but I, I think it's a little shame because actually Amy's great skill is the sort of atmospheric scene. You know, they, that tends to be mainly at car events, of course, but, but, but she has the ability to point the camera and capture a scene that 90% of us mortals would have gone, well, I didn't see that, you know. Yeah. I, I yeah I just know her, her familiar with her through the, through the automobile. Amy world. happens to be married to William Haynes, who's restoring my car as well. So it's a little, it's a little bit. Oh no way! That's funny. Oh wow! 
So she's keeping a check on him. You know. Yeah, of course. Right. It's all full circle anyway. The dialogue never stops, I'm sure. But, um, well, listen, I don't know if I told you, I'm coming to London in April. And and I'm actually going to be, I may cut this out of the podcast. I'm not sure. I'm going to go to the Bister Heritage, the Scramble. It's brilliant. Have you? Are, are you planning on going? Yeah, yeah. I've got, I go to, I, I didn't go to the last one because actually... I was it unusually clashed with the diary, but I've been to pretty much every one prior to that. I mean, it's not like there's nothing else in the world like it, but meeting at an ex-World War II bomber base, with which is now full of engineering companies that do amazing things with Alvis, Riley, Bentley. You've got Hero, the... Um, the race organization for classic cars. Then you've got a number of very modern car companies that do very leading edge technology stuff there. Um, you've never seen so many cars in your life. For anyone who is worried about um, <laughs> petrol driven cars fading away, go there and you will not worry any further. I mean, just the most broad range of product you will ever see. Well, this was, um, so I have a friend in Maine who is uh, really big into Aston Martin and he was going to be in England in May. And I think he was thinking the event was in May, but I looked it up and it's April 21st. It's a Sunday. I already got my tickets. And apparently, apparently the tickets have kind of moved. So if you don't have your tickets yet, unless you have an inn or something, but get your They're tickets gone. quick. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But let's keep tabs because I'd love to see you over there. Like I would, that would be amazing to, to it's meet It's a great up. event. And they're also, they have got a direct line with the weather gods because they have, I, you know, I'm probably going to. Well, yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> knock, knock on. But, but we have never seen any wet stuff come from the sky. Well, God, I hope that remains true in April for me, but, um, so so let's talk let's talk F one for a second. How do you feel? I think about Lewis Hamilton has got an uncanny way of reading the pit, and I think he's made a a good call. Will he get his eighth championship with it? Probably not. But will he finish with Ferrari? Well, yeah. So you know, I can't remember if I've said this on the show before or not. I think I have. I genuinely thought in 2021 when he lost to Max on that last lap or he's going to stop. Or what? Well, not no. I didn't think that. I think he was more emotional about the loss because he knew the future. Because that's when the regulations were changing. Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think he knew that they wouldn't be competitive the next day or year, rather. That's a good view. Yeah. And I was like, I bet he was irate because he he just knew he knew the future. Right, you right. know, because if you asked Lewis Hamilton completely privately, non-recorded, who's a great driver, he's going to very comfortably say Max Verstappen because he knows he is, right? Of course he is. Well, Max is fearless. I mean, Lewis historically has has just been pretty similar precision and fearless as well. You know, I think, but the car has so much to do with it these days. I'm afraid so. Yeah. You know, I mean, you put. If you put Lewis in that Red Bull, Lewis would be winning, you know? The only thing you would say about the Red Bull is Sergio's no Muppet. That's true. 
But look at the... I mean, Max Verstappen drives a particular way, right? I think he's an incredible talent. I personally think Charles is a bit of a baller, you know, doesn't seem to quite... I was at at the Le Mans thing, the guest of Don at Vertex Watches, another great guy in the watch world. And um, Charles came in, it must have really annoyed him because it was after a another DNF in F1 and he watched his his peer group in the Le Mans cars win, you know? Right. Oh, yeah, it's one of those things where he he just makes a lot of mistakes, right? And like and bless him because you know your heart goes out to him. He's not stoked on it, you know? He's not really yeah, he's a charming guy as well. Charming yeah. and I'm a huge Ferrari fan, always have been. Um, who isn't though, right 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 well i mean that's the point about lewis right is like everybody really is a ferrari fan like if you get the opportunity to get that drive you're gonna take it now rumor has it a hundred millions also on the table so like yeah but i think do you know what the value of ferrari went up by seven billion dollars on the day he signed wow job done right yeah yeah exactly he just earned his money. Anything that Ferrari is paying for Lewis is like you looking through the dime thing in your car in the nothing. Right. It's nothing. Yeah, exactly. And if someone can make Formula One popular in the US, it's Lewis Hamilton. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Paul, thank you, sir. This has been awesome. Thank you very much. Thank you. Final thing, I, I saw that you did Henry Catchpole. Yeah. Henry's great. And I hope to see him at Bister as well. He is the best car assessor. Totally agree. He's he's the um, the David Attenborough of cars. <laughs> That's fantastic. I love that. He's That's he's fantastic. he's brilliant. A great thing to say. I'm going to remember that David Attenborough. He is. Yes. He's absolutely. I, he's he's just amazing. He's calming. His delivery is just spot on. And I, I can't say enough about Henry. He's and I like the way he leads you down the, this is a bit disappointing, this is a bit disappointing. However! However, <laughs> yeah. yeah. The, the carrot, it's the carrot. Yeah. I, uh, I really appreciate it. Um, I know you've, you've got an evening to attend to and probably dinner. So um, yeah, really appreciate it. Thanks, speech, yeah. Chat with you soon. Bye-bye. Bye. This wraps up this episode of the Standard Age Podcast. If you like what you heard, I'd love it if you'd share it with a friend or two. And if you have a moment, please rate and review the show as it helps others discover these episodes. It absolutely helps far more than you realize. Shout out to Jensen Reed and Super Beautiful for the theme track. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll catch you in the next one. Take care. Take care.